evening, dear listeners. It is Tuesday, April 13th, April 30th, and welcome to the final Iron the Triangle of the 2012-2013 school year. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Langlois, and we thank you for tuning in. We've had a bit of a hiatus in April for the baseball season, but we managed to be able to get back one more show before the exams consume us all at the end of the year. Tonight we've got a mix of new and old stories, some of our favorites throughout the year. Jasmine recently covered the Relay for Life race in April. DeAndre spoke with Dean Watson regarding uh, some force at the universities in the current process of selling. And Gene Zernov and I recently took a chocolate tour of Raleigh. That plus so much more, so stick around. It's going to be a good show. But first, Jasmine Shepard has the weather for us. Jasmine? Thanks, Jake, and good evening, Wolfpack. If you're outside today, you probably felt some chilly weather. Well, today we only reached a high around 65 degrees, along with a few partly cloudy skies. The temperature is expected to drop to right around 57 degrees later on this evening. Also, be on the lookout for some rain because there's still a 20% chance of rain for this evening, so make sure that you have those rain jackets ready just in case. Tomorrow we'll be seeing some more partly cloudy skies as we head into the first day of exams. It'll be a little warmer, however. A high of 69 degrees is expected in the forecast. 56 is the expected low, and again, be prepared for some showers. Thursday, if you're planning outdoor activities, expect a high of 72 and a low of 51 degrees. Another 20% chance of rain is in the forecast as well, so be, uh, I'm sorry, as well as some partly cloudy skies. Friday, we'll be, getting, we'll be getting the warmest weather this week. 74 degrees is the expected high, and 48 degrees is the low. A 10% chance of rain is, is in the forecast, along with partly cloudy skies, so make sure you have those umbrellas with you. Saturday, 70 will be the high, and 52 will be the low. It's looking like some more showers might be coming this way for the weekend, so be prepared if you're planning any outdoor activities. And finally, Sunday will end the week off with a high of 71 degrees and a low of 54. Not too bad. Be prepared for a slight chance of rain on that day as well. And that's all for the Weather Wolf Pack, and have a great week, and remember to ace those exams. Thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest on the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. President Obama today renewed his promise to close Guantanamo Bay Detention Facility. Obama first called for the prison to close in his 2008 campaign, but Congress prevented military spending to be used on trials and halted plans to transfer detainees to a facility in Illinois. Currently, there are as many as 100 prisoners engaged in a hunger strike in Guantanamo. President Obama also said today that the Pentagon has been told to make preparations in response to Syria's possible use of chemical weapons against its citizens. He did not say whether this response includes military action. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. Last Sunday, Jake and Gene went all around Raleigh trying some of the 70s best chocolate shops and bakeries for what turned out to be a delicious excursion. Raleigh has grown over the past 10 years, so too have the number of restaurants, music, and entertainment venues. Last Sunday, Gene Zernov and I decided to take a little bit of a tour around Raleigh, exploring the city's sweeter side and uncovering some of the best places in the city to satiate your sweet tooth. And as it turns out, there's quite a lot of them. So what is the next destination? I think we owe it to... First up on the chocolate tour is Herity. Herity is this little bakery almost tucked into the strip mall right on the corner of Glenwood and Oberlin behind the Harris Teeter. 
It's a cozy little cafe, the kind that reminds you of an afternoon brunch with family or close friends. They serve sandwiches and other meals, but the real forte is supposedly their pastries and their cakes. I asked for the most unique item, and the guy behind the counter pointed me in the direction of the Napoleon. Got the banana and Nutella. Okay, I got the Napoleon, which is like... I don't know how to describe it. It's... It's like pastry, a layered pastry cake with an array of cream frostings. I'm pretty sure when we used to make it, you make two frostings and mix them together, and it takes all day long to make. Yeah? Yeah, but it's worth it. The payoff is pretty fantastic. That is really good. Yeah? Here. Okay, can switch. And... I tried the Napoleon, I'm trying the Prague. Yeah. And I'm trying the Napoleon. And when you're talking about the Napoleon, you said you've had better, right? That my great aunt makes. Really? Yeah. I feel like I haven't had Napoleon that's store bought that's quite right. I mean, you can't really beat homemade. Yeah. But, but you, you figure a bakery or a confectioner's shop would get really close to it. Alright, so what's the verdict? On Heredy? Um, I really like it, and I'll definitely frequent here again. A lot of French and Italian desserts. Yeah. Um, and the atmosphere is fantastic. Service is good, but they're a little short-staffed. I mean, I'll be completely honest about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll come here again. I would come here again. I'd probably get something different. Um, uh, maybe something a little lighter. That was even. Yeah, I I I get a croissant or a crepe. I would. I'd probably get a croissant. Next stop, Godiva at Crabtree. Anyone that's ever shopped or visited Crabtree has probably seen this establishment. Okay, so we're at Crabtree. It's it's you know noisy. It's loud. It's busy. Where are we going? We are going to Godiva to get some chocolate covered orange peels. Let's do it. Where Harity was cozy, Godiva at Crabtree was bustling with people, crowded and noisy, and much more impersonal. So I'm going to start with the least popular, which is the passion, I think it's called that, the, the fruit parfait. Passion fruit parfait. It looks kind of like a little chocolate cup yeah. with rice in it. It's kind of hard to explain. Not rice. It's not rice. It's like maggots or something. I don't know. <laughs> try it. It's pretty good. Pretty good. It's good. Only pretty good. I don't know if it's $2.50 good, but, yeah. you know, it's good. Should I bite my strawberry? Yeah, go for it. Okay. It's huge, though. It's, like, the size of half my fist. Worth $8? Maybe. I guess we'll find out. If any strawberry is worth $8, which I don't believe it is, it, but it's this one. Is it? Is it really good? It's perfectly juicy, perfectly ripe. And I got the dark chocolate, and it's just enough to cover it. It's the perfect chocolate strawberry, honestly. And you took a huge bite, and you're showing, like, halfway, not even halfway done. No, it's It's like, a big strawberry. Yeah, it's huge. If any strawberry is worth the money, then it's this one. Now, I'll leave it up to you to decide if it is. $8, so... I'm going to try the uh, key lime truffle. You're frowning. <laughs> Is that a bad sign? That's weird. I don't know. No. 
You don't like it? No, I don't. You should have gotten the raspberry. <laughs> I, regret, I regret it. I told you. No, but you know what? I like the least popular item they have more than one of the most popular. The key lime and the chocolate, I don't think they, they're a good match. I don't, I don't know. It's your fault for choosing that flavor, though. Well, you know what? Now I know. It, you know, I was like, trying it. What about the way the chocolate was crafted? Not the filling itself, but the, the quality of the chocolate. Yeah, the chocolate's good. It's just, I guess it's not a good mix. I can't believe that's the most popular. I think I just got, I think you just got lied to. <laughs> that's quite a possibility. Um, okay, but what do you think? What's the verdict? Um, it's really well-made chocolate, but I might try buying a strawberry at Whole Foods, you know, best of the best strawberries. And get some dark chocolate chips and melt my own chocolate and make my own chocolate up strawberries. All right, cool, yeah. And if I if I ever do come back here, which, honestly, I don't go out and get chocolate all that often, but if I did, uh, I wouldn't recommend the key lime chocolate. I'd, rec- I'd recommend the, the passion fruit parfait before the key lime or really anything else. So. For those familiar with Lafayette Village in North Raleigh on Honeycutt Road, there is the Chocolate Boutique, which was our next destination. Jean got a chocolate raspberry truffle, playing it safe. Well, I took a little bit of risk with a chocolate-dipped yeah. bacon. Well, I'm going to go ahead and try this bacon. Enjoying that? I don't know. This is like straight-up bacon covered in milk chocolate. It might have been better with a more bitter chocolate. That's what I kind of thought about it. Honestly, it's probably one of the most unique chocolate creations I've ever had. Do you want another piece? No, but you can have a bite of mine. It was strange. It wasn't bad, but I don't know that I'd eat it again. What do you think? Was it worth it? Uh, well, honestly, on this sweet chop, my verdict is that get the dark chocolate even if you like milk chocolate. Because the dark chocolate was still too sweet, but the milk chocolate was way too sweet. So they make all their chocolate sweeter. I guess they cater to a certain type of graphic. Probably, yeah, we walked in and there was a birthday party going on, so it seems to be kind of more um, family-oriented. Yeah, I, I would say so. More oriented towards kids and birthday parties, so. It's not oriented towards fine dining, I guess. It's not... <laughs> it's so snooty. I mean, it's not a no. fine dining experience. It's more of a sweets experience. So, I mean, if you have a sweet tooth... Yeah. It was definitely the sweetest chocolate. There was one final stop on our chocolate tour around Raleigh. The Videri Chocolate Factory is located in the heart of Raleigh's warehouse district on West Davies Street. This factory is quite unique in that all of their creations are made in the warehouse, in the factory, and there are actually tours one can take to see how the chocolate is made. The owners and many of the employees come from California originally, but this establishment is pure Raleigh. All of the chocolate is organic and ethically sourced, nut and gluten-free with no extra chemicals or soy added. I'd heard very good things about this establishment, so we just had to go and see for ourselves. A chocolate-covered marshmallow and a dark chocolate orange ganache. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's like orange with brandy or something like that. It's, it sounds really good. I got the uh, salted caramel. It's like a little square truffle thing. And then I got the banana ganache, which was apparently one of their more interesting choices. So I went with one of the most popular and one of the most interesting. Um, so let's try it. Yeah. Which one are you trying first? Uh, the bigger one. The bigger so one? So the marshmallow. It is pretty big, by the way. It's like mm-hmm. the size of a half dollar. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, it's marshmallow all the way inside, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, it's nothing unexpected, it's an old favorite, but as far as the quality of the chocolate goes, you can really taste it, and I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate, so it's, like, perfectly bitter. I'm loving this. Look at that. You have a smile on your face. <laughs> I love this banana ganache. It's really good. You can taste banana, which is like... I'm not a huge banana fan, but it's awesome. Is it real banana or synthetic Laffy Taffy banana? I think it's, I think it's real, but I'm not sure. I, wouldn't, right. I don't know enough about it. Time for the orange ganache. Right. I'm not going to devour it in one bite like Jake did. <laughs> okay. You have a goofy smile. How's it? It's really good. It's a true dark chocolate. Yeah. That's pretty much all I can say. I think if you made me choose between this and Godiva, I would choose this. This one's out. This one's out all the all the competitors. And let's talk about the atmosphere. Moose to my left. A painting of a moose in a in a spaghetti strap dress. It's such like an atmosphere is right in the middle of uh, the warehouse district downtown. Yeah. It's like inside an old warehouse, which is really, really cool. I think the, another factor is the fact that I hadn't been in the warehouse district at all before, even though I lived in Raleigh my whole life. So it's just the exciting, unexpected find of, you know, a chocolate factory in the middle of Raleigh. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> You're eating your chocolate. Bottom line, this place is good. Excellent chocolate, a really cozy and a rustic atmosphere with a coffee bar just off to the side while you enjoy your chocolate. And it is kind of a unique charm, and it just seems to belong there, nestled in between the barbecue pits and the brew houses of downtown. This establishment is sure to be a staple of the city for some time to come, so for those of you with a raging sweet tooth looking for something that is uniquely Raleigh, you can do no better than the Videri Chocolate Factory, located at 327 West Davie Street in the Warehouse District. Although, in truth, you really can't go wrong with any number of the many sweet shops located around Raleigh. Wherever you go, you're sure to have a sweet time. For On the Triangle, I'm Jay Clangwall. Jasmine was recently on site at the 2013 Relay for Life on April 12th. Here is her story. They say you should run when you can, walk when you have to, crawl if you must, but just never give up. On April 12th, we attended the annual event Relay for Life, and let me tell you, it was simply amazing. Participants and survivors gathered as they celebrated what they've overcame, remembered those who were lost to cancer, and took tangible action against the disease. Just take a listen. I knew right away that he was a really special 
a special guy. And that's just, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you, it was like having him in the office was so much fun. And um, any of you who knew him knew that it was always fun when Ian was around. And uh, it was you who wanted to wring his neck or, uh, or give him a big hug because he was just so much fun. Those were the words of a former supervisor of Ian Pearson, a student, a part of the Wolfpack, who died on February 27, 2013, due to cancer. Like her, so many others were suffering and others remain hopeful. But regardless, you certainly felt the love and warmth from the participants and supporters as we were greeted with a smile. Here's what some people had to say. Hi, I'm Scott McDonald. Uh, we really like the opportunity to uh, raise money for uh, cancer research. A lot of our uh, family members in the past have been affected by it, so we like the opportunity. Are you guys having fun out here so far? Yeah, it's a great time. Good music, uh, a lot of fun people, and hopefully going to come out and get some food soon. Okay, awesome. So what part of Relay Life are you looking forward to the most? Probably uh, the 3 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's tired and still partying. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you. My name is Amber Butler. Amber Butler? Kale Carpenter. Okay, cool. So well, how did you guys hear about this event? Um, I'm a part of IHRNC State, which is a smaller branch of Campus Crusade for Christ, and I am leading our team in Relay. Okay, so what made you want to take part in the Relay for Life event? Um, our club has always done a part, been a part of Relay, and so it's just kind of tradition for us. Okay, cool. So are you here with just your um, group members, or are you here with family as well? Um, just our group members. And Ian Peterson um, is one of the Luminary um, students, and he is actually was a part of Campus Crusade and passed away just a few months ago. We know a lot of people who are cancer survivors, so I guess it's just a good thing. So how'd you guys hear about this event? Um, through WISE, which is Women in Science and Engineering from NC State. Okay, interesting. So what made you guys want to participate in the event? Um, my dad, he had cancer and he survived from it. He had testicular cancer and he beat it, so I just wanted to come out here and honor him. I enjoyed the Survivor Lab and the watching them go around and like really like be confident about themselves because they survived cancer. Right. We're here to sing a cappella because we're an a cappella group. Uh-huh. So we're here to sing. But really, for life, is like a special place in my heart because like my parents have had cancer and like a lot of people that I know have had cancer. So it's really important to like raise awareness. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, thank you so much for this interview. I appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed seeing all the cancer survivors walk around for the first lap. So I thought that was really inspirational. My name's Josie Daniel. Josie Daniel, okay, nice to meet you. My name is Jasmine. Okay, so how'd you hear about this event? Um, through my school. Through school, what school do you go to? I go to the North Carolina School of Science and Math. Okay, interesting. So what made you want to participate in Relay for Life? Um, um I'm in a service sorority at NC State and we decided that we were gonna participate in Relay for Life this year. A lot of the girls in our sorority have um, family members that have had cancer, and my sorority as a whole is really, like, passionate about it. So are you here with just, like, your sorority members, or are you here with family as well? Yes, I'm here with just my sorority sisters. They're all walking right now. <laughs> okay, interesting. So what time are you guys, what time did you guys get out here? Oh, we got here at 6. We are not quite prepared. We're in the middle of getting a tent and everything. <laughs> okay, and what time are you guys leaving? Are you staying overnight? Um, yes, we're staying all the way till tomorrow, I guess, at 8 or whenever it ends, I don't know. As you can see, the event was certainly memorable, and it was such an honor to be there. It was great talking to all the participants and hearing their stories, which are nothing short of touching. Such a great experience that I was truly honored to be a part of. 
for Iron Triangle, this is Jasmine Shepherd. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We've got more on the way. Back in January, Jean spoke with a rather interesting professor of hers, a professor in the Department of Physics, Professor For- Professor Fortner. Hey, everyone. I'm sitting here today with our very own Dr. Fortner, who is a physics professor at NC State. Hello. Thank you for coming in. Sure. Yeah, this should be fun. All right. I just wanted to talk to you about your fascinating history. You followed a very non-traditional path, and yet... You worked for NASA, you worked for Johns Hopkins, and you started not one, but two software companies. And we would love to hear about that and what the most meaningful experience was, the one you gathered the most of, just maybe any tips for us college kids. (laughs) Tips for college kids, I love that. Yeah, so I followed a non-traditional career probably because I had ADHD. People that are able to focus on single subjects and do really well on single subjects are perfect for an academic career. And those people are the ones that get PhDs, those are the people that ones that become professors. I tend to be interested in a lot of different things. So while I was an undergraduate, I got sucked into computers. And this is back in the early 1970s, back when computers were something special. And I, in fact, I wrote the world's first uh, interactive flight simulator, which was later taken over by Microsoft. That's, a, that's another long story. And later in my graduate career, I got distracted by a new supercomputer center that was going in at the the University of Illinois. Wound up working with computers there, and I found the academic life finishing graduate school was kind of an irritation. Yet you ended up in academia. Yeah, but it took me about 15 years to get back. (laughs) So after I left the university, still not finishing my PhD, I started my first company, which was called Spyglass. And this is pre-internet. This is before the internet existed. This was 1990. And I started the company initially to commercialize the software that my team had developed uh, doing scientific visualization, making images out of uh, scientific data. Much later on, we were given the opportunity to be the commercial licensor of the technology developed at Illinois called Mosaic, which was the world's first internet browser. And that took us in a completely different direction and lots of stuff happened, which there are several books about. One of the more interesting things was there was a company formed from our technology that they had acquired by acquiring the personnel at Illinois that developed Mosaic, and they called their company Mosaic Communications. The University of Illinois and my company sued them, and we won, and that company changed their name to Netscape. Uh, Which is a household name at this point. Right. And we didn't become the household name, although in 1994-95, it wasn't clear who was going to win the browser awards because we were the licensor of Internet Explorer, for example. Internet Explorer 1.0 and 2.0 were our products. And there were 28 browsers on the market in 1995. 27 of them were ours. The 28th, of course, was Netscape. But then lots of things happened. That was certainly the most non-academic experience I have. And I love talking about the experience because... One of the things that people think when they think about being an entrepreneur is, gee, if I read up everything, if I get a master's in business administration, 
If I hire the best people, I'm going to succeed. People don't understand how incredibly random sometimes what happens is. The fact that we became the licensor of Mosaic was just almost random. It was personal connections. The fact that my second company failed, it failed for a lot of random reasons. And so really for me, when I try and talk to people becoming entrepreneurs, it's being able to manage that randomness, to be able to manage the unexpected. And that's what makes successful entrepreneurs. Excellent. What was the biggest thing that you took away from this experience? Honestly? Honestly. If you need a friend, get a dog. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, that, that sounds horrible, but I had people that I trusted do horrible things. So I had a CEO, a good friend of mine, who embezzled from me had developers who were good friends who basically lied and so it's there's a real difference between academia and business that that i was unaware of i think one of the biggest differences is that in academia reputation is very important and so people will always try to protect their reputation or try and attack other people and their research which is actually good it sounds bad but it's good because that way we all kind of go through that fire a business is very different. Business is just as cutthroat. Actually, it's more cutthroat, but it's a lot more polite. And so people in business tend to be very nice. I mean, we would socialize with our uh, competitors. We would socialize with people that would stab us in the back when it came around to it. And it was just, it's a different tenor. It was hard to get used to. A short story. I was having a beer with my physics advisor once, and he said that one of the reasons that great people are great and the rest of us aren't is how you deal with failure. That, And he, he said it in a very interesting way. He says that most of us live in a fog of regret. We're surrounded by that fog. And it's very difficult to pierce that fog of regret. Really great people can pierce that fog and make decisions based on what is on the ground right now. Now, he was telling me this in the late 90s when Bill Clinton was president of the United States, and he had an issue with Monica Lewinsky. And he was using that as an illustration of a great person. Because Bill Clinton did something that most of us would absolutely cringe by. Most of us would crawl under a rock and hope the world never saw us again. Now Bill Clinton is one of the most respected people out there. And he was able to not have that fog of regret destroy him. He was able to make decisions based on what was true and real. And if I had had that mindset with my second company, I would have had a much different history because I always had that fog of regret around me trying to save what was basically unsavable. And you said that your first company was a raging success. Yes. If it became Internet Explorer. Did you sell it to someone or what happened with that? So to answer that question kind of a long way around, we were uh, funded by a couple of venture firms that uh, people that know are, are aware of them, Venrock and Greylock. Uh, Venrock is the Rockefeller fam uh, family, and Greylock is a very well-known Boston venture campus firm. And I remember having a meeting with the Greylock firm, and they were talking about another investment they made, you know, a company called Avid, which makes video stuff, and they're still around. And they says, yeah, it's a great company. It was a great investment for us. Six months after we invested in them, all five founders were gone. <laughs> so um, there, were, there were three of us that founded Byglass. By 1995, all three of us were gone in various ways. 
So as part of my leaving the company, I was given the ability to reacquire the original technology I developed, which I did. And I started my second company, and that was the basis of that. So at the time, I didn't feel that upset about leaving, you know. So instead of being one of three founders for my first company, I owned 100% of my second company, which had its benefits and its downsides. I would like to discuss your research at Johns Hopkins because that is also a significant part of your career and your life path. Yes, so Johns Hopkins University is, is a, a famous place, and there's there's one part that's very famous and one part that very few people know about. So the main campus of Johns Hopkins is, of course, downtown Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and it's one of the best universities in the world. They have a medical center that actually employs several times more people than the main campus, and that is probably the best medical facility in the world, arguably. There's another wing of Johns Hopkins called Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, which also employs several times more people than the main campus does. But Hopkins tends to keep the existence of that arm of the university very quiet. And the reason they do is that Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab does work for a lot of clients. One of our bigger clients was NASA, but we also did a lot of work for other clients, such as the Navy, the Air Force, and other clients who prefer not to be named, mostly government. Wow. So it was my first experience with large government research facilities, and it was actually quite a pleasure because... We were a research organization, but we were an extremely large research organization, which meant we had a lot of resources. We had lots of computers. We had wind tunnels. We had any subject you can imagine there was an expert on. So, you know, some of the unclassified research we did was um, training sessions for people uh, running missile exercises on nuclear submarines. Some of the unclassified work we did was the messenger orbiter around Mercury is a Johns Hopkins um, satellite. New Horizons, which is the satellite going to Pluto, is also a Johns Hopkins. I worked in a part of the division working for government clients who prefer not to be named. One of the uh, jobs I did that was unclassified was what we call video steganography. We were getting a lot of videotapes from Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, videotapes that we really would like to have more information about. And my team developed the technology to identify uh, the model and in some kind cases even the particular camera that took uh, the videotape based on details of the video signal. We also did some work for the U.S. Postal Service trying to validate videos used during video surveillance to make sure that the videos were not tampered with. As you know, it's extremely easy to tamper with uh, sound and video. And when you're in court, you have to prove that it has not been tampered with. And we developed a tamper-proof system for making sure that that uh, couldn't happen. Unfortunately, a lot of the work I did work on are stuff that, you know, I just, I can't talk about. Yeah, but thank you so much for sharing. I mean, all the things you mentioned... I didn't know Johns Hopkins did that. I thought it was predominantly a medical university. I actually am considering it for graduate school. But, yeah, that sounds fantastic. And was this a stepping stone towards your ending up at NC State? Indirectly. I, I should mention that politically I'm, I'm very liberal. The people I was working with at Hopkins are some of the best and most 
technically competent people I've ever worked with in my life. And unlike working in an academic institution, we worked as a team towards definite goals. And that was really nice and neat for me. However, I was probably the only Democrat within the two buildings that I worked in. Although I loved the people I worked with in terms of their skills and in terms of the most of the people I worked with were either military or ex-military. And there's a real mission orientation working with military and ex-military that makes life very easy. We just get things done, you know, no drama. But I wanted to go to a place where I didn't have to pass people with M16s and show my badge and be scanned in and searched every time I went to work. The reason I'm here was that I had a conversation with Dr. Sherwood and Dr. Chabay, who wrote the textbook I'm currently teaching out of. And my friendship with them goes back 45 years. Dr. Chabay and I were fellow undergraduates. Dr. Sherwood used to be my boss back at Illinois. Uh, he's somewhat older. But, I mean, we know, how, how do I say this? We know where the bodies are buried. We know each other's histories. And another person that I deeply respect is a Dr. Bitzer, who is a distinguished professor in the E department here. He came from the team I worked with at Illinois in the late 1980s. The fact that Dr. Bitzer was here, Dr. Sherwood, Dr. Spade, three people that were very close friends I deeply respected. In conversations with them, they were able to offer me a position in the department here, and it just seemed like a perfect move. Besides the fact that the weather is a lot nicer here. Oh, yes. <laughs> that I would agree with. That's why my family moved here from Russia. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming in. It was really great having you and hearing about all the work you do. So thank you again. Thank you so much. There has been much discussion lately on the, of the proposed sale of some forested land that North Carolina State owns. DeAndre Jones recently spoke with Dean Watson, Dean of the College of Natural Resources. NC State is planning some large moves with its forest here. So I sat down with Dean Watson of the College of Natural Resources to see how it affects her college. Also, just to learn some information about the college in general, as any other college that's not engineering can be overshadowed here. Here's my interview with Dean Watson of the College of Natural Resources. All right, so could you uh, state your name and title, please? My name is Mary Watson, and I'm the dean of the College of Natural Resources here at NC State. There's definitely a bit of going on with NC State's talks of selling some of its forest land. And I wanted to know, as the dean of the College of Natural Resources, what is your general stance on this decision? Well, we've been exploring the role of the Hoffman Forest in the College of Natural Resources. There are a couple of things to keep in mind First, the Hoffman Forest is not our only piece of forest land. Uh, a lot of you may be familiar with Shank Forest, which is close by, which we use every day in our outdoor teaching program, and Hill Forest, which is up near Durham, where we have uh, almost 2,500 acres, and it's the location of our summer camp in forestry and wildlife. We have laboratory classrooms, we have field facilities, we have dormitories, we have a kitchen up there. So we have plenty of places to do our outdoor education and even other places to do outdoor research. The Hoffman Forest came into the College of Natural Resources way back when it was purchased by the first dean as a place to demonstrate uh, forestry. 
and it's been maintained in uh, the college in in different uh, ways over the years. Uh, most recently, we maintain it as a working forest. Uh, we do harvest uh, timber and pulp from the forest, and it's a significant uh, source of income for the College of Natural Resources. So we're looking at uh, the forest as a, both a, a, a financial asset for the College of Natural Resources as well as a place where we do research. And we are exploring a sale, uh, which is very contingent upon getting uh, a potential buyer who can meet our price expectations and also meet other conditions that are really important to us. For example, we want to maintain the legacy of the forest by keeping the name associated with it. Doc Hoffman, who was the first dean of the college, uh, somebody we want to recognize. We want to uh, have a buyer who would keep it as a working forest. That's very important to us. And finally, we want to uh, pursue a buyer who is interested in continuing to provide access to us to do research and forest demonstration. Okay, so my next question is, how would the sale overall affect the College of Natural Resources and its students? Well, uh, if in fact we do sell, uh, we expect that we would get a much higher and more regular rate of income coming into the college. So we use those resources for all kinds of things, supporting scholarships, supporting internships and field opportunities for our students. And we would use the revenues to support uh, the future of the College of Natural Resources. We're currently involved in the very fun process of thinking about the future of the college and where we want to go. And these resources would help us achieve those goals. Very good. So uh, a couple of general questions about the college. Uh, for students who aren't aware of what the, the College of Natural Resources is all about, um, how large is the college as a whole? Uh, the college has about 1,800 undergraduate students and uh, about 450 graduate students across a wide variety of majors. So we have three departments. Uh, forestry and Environmental Resources is our biggest department. And uh, in that department, we have uh, the forestry uh, major. We have uh, wildlife and conservation biology. Uh, we have the natural resources major. And we have a major in environmental technology and management, which is all about environmental monitoring and assessment. Uh, we have a department of parks, recreation, and tourism management. Uh, and in that program, we have uh, parks and recreation management and tourism, outdoor tourism and recreation. Uh, we also have the professional golf management program and our sports management program. And then our third department is forest biomaterials, and we have two main programs there. One is paper science and chemical engineering, uh, and the other is forest biomaterials, which is using wood for all kinds of different things, from building houses to every other conceivable product made out of wood. And that uh, program has a real focus on sustainability. Wood is a very sustainable, uh, earth-friendly product, if you will. Uh, so really supporting the development of industries based on wood. And what is your personal favorite thing about the college as the dean? My personal favorite thing? Well, I think uh, understanding the natural world and being connected to the natural world is a really important part of everyone's life. And as we talk about what's going on in the world around us and we worry about things like global climate change and land use changes, having a, a working understanding of how the world works uh, and what we need to continue to have clean air and clean water and the natural resources we, we need is a, a pretty challenging career. 
Plus, it's a career that takes you outside. So my specialty is is managing aquatic systems, uh, and I got into it in part because I love to be outside and be on and near the water. And a lot of our students get into it because of that desire to protect the out of doors and make sure that we have the kind of ecological services that give us a good quality of life. So um, sort of on the flip side, what's one thing that you'd like to change about the college in the future? Well, uh, one of the things we're talking about in our college right now is how do we promote more connections uh, uh, both across our departments within the college? uh, And we could use things like sustainability, which binds us all together to think about how we can work together across our departments. And then also how we can better connect across the entire NC State campus uh, NC State is is phenomenally well positioned to really be a leader in thinking about the environment and environmental sciences. And you see it all across the campus and all of the colleges and departments, including even the cool, the cool pool college of management, uh, where we think about management with environment in mind. So I really hope that we can exploit more of those connections and really build up the environment as a real theme at NC State. And what would you say is your overall goal for the college? I know you spoke a little bit about you guys are thinking about the future. So what what would you say is your overall goal for the college? Well, our goal is to make the world a better place, uh, quite simply. Uh, We hope that we're preparing students to go out life ready and career ready and they have the knowledge and skills to really do what they want to do with their lives in, in any direction that they want to take their their lives. So we, we really want to create great uh, innovators, great entrepreneurs, great critical thinkers that can contribute broadly to society and make the world a better place. Touching on the sustainability fact, what would you say um, is the college doing to take steps to become more sustainable, both within the college and within the university? Well, it's interesting you asked that question. Uh, Last night I was uh, down at the Nature Center uh, in downtown Raleigh for the Raleigh Environment Awards. And uh, NC State won the overall Environment Award for our efforts at sustainability here on the NC State campus. And that's everything from local foods and our dining services to our new co-generation plant to provide energy in an efficient uh, way to the campus uh, thinking about how we build new space, we've got over a million square feet that are ready to uh, to uh, be certified as as lead buildings on campus. So that's a a great uh, a great thing uh, as well. So we're doing a lot of things both in our educational programs and in just how we run this great campus to make sustainability real. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Dean Watson, for lending me your time today. And that's about all I have for you. And uh, is there any last things that you'd like to say to the students that are listening right now? Go Wolfpack. <laughs> Instead of it myself, thank you. And for Iron the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. So technically this story has been played before, but it's one that I just love so darn much. So why not? WKNC presents The Fearless Ranger. Now, brought to you by Dry Oat Germ, the oat germ that leaves you salivating for more, the Fearless Ranger. When we left off last week, the ranger was riding into town with a corpse in tow. Whoa. 
fearless ranger, don't you know you're not allowed back here? You killed 17 people last week. I was administering justice. Did you have to kill women and children? Sometimes casualties get in the way of justice. Did you have to sleep with my wife? Well, that was for fun. Now I see you dragging a body behind you. Who'd you kill now? What did he ever do? Hmm? I found this stiff and recently deceased pass. Hmm. Third one this week. That's a lot of dead bodies, Ranger, and you're trying to tell me it weren't you? You know I ain't never touched no bow and arrow since my parents died in a frick bow accident. Did they fall on their own errors? Nah, they was strangled on the bowstring. Shoot, Ranger, we may need your expertise. Looks like there's a killer on the loose. I'll call a town meeting. Come on now, chillums. My honey chillies, calm down. Them's Indian errors. We should go out and find them all. Who done spilled beans on my chaps? It was them Indians. I seen it, I provisioned it, but they was invisible. Unbeknownst to the dim-witted denizens of dry Deadwood Gulch, they were finding themselves enmeshed in the machinations of none other than Professor Codswabble, the most intensely evil intellect west of the Mississippi, miles away in his foul den. <laughs> if my predilections are correct, and they always are, my precarious ploy should be put into perpetuation. Ah, uh, Gideon, you're back. You are watching from the hills as I commanded. Hmm? What of the body I instructed you to watch? Some man took it away. Where did he take it? That way. Which way, Gideon? East or west? That one. Back to town. Uh, never mind, Gideon. What did the man look like? He rode a pure white horse. Uh, such a purebred Persian could only belong to one man, the fearless ranger. When he gets here, he'll have quite a surprise. And then, if my plan carries out as intended, and they always do, the bumbling buffoons will exterminate the natives for me. And I will be able to swoop in and purchase their land for an absurdly cheap price. Pennies, an acre, giddy, and all of it rich with silver unbeknownst to the dupes. You'll show them all, boss. Meanwhile, in the town of Deadwood Dry Gulch, a suspicious ranger does some detective work over the now trampled body rotting in the center of town. I guess this is as good a place as any to begin my search. Let's see... Excuse me, mister, you probably won't be missing whatever's in your hand right there. He finds the dead dunce's decomposed digits clutching a note. Dear Gideon, note to self. Remember to kill this prospector. Love, Gideon and Professor Codswabble. P.S. Don't forget to throw this note out. Come on, Ranger, the policy's almost ready to flush them engines out. Sheriff, I think you might want to take a look at this here note I found. I ain't got no time to read. In fact, I never had no time to learn how to read. I got a people to protect if you'll excuse me. Well, then, it looks like I'm on my own. Come on, Tonto. That's what I named my horse. To the scene of the crime. Meanwhile, back in the den of the deadly dastard. All right, Gideon. Here's the rifle. You know what to do, don't you? Uh, hang on. I dropped my note. Read it to me. Kill the fearless ranger. What are you going to kill him with? This rifle. Where are you going to do it from? The, uh, overlook. <laughs> Good lad, Gideon. Here's the bullets. Now be off with you, you blundering baboon. Little does our paragon of her protagonist 
our antithesis to the antagonist know he's riding into a tricky trap. It doesn't surprise me that Professor Codswabble is up to no good. But what could the professor possibly stand to gain by framing up the Indians? Besides, the professor usually likes to take credit for his dastardly deeds. Take five, Tonto. I've got to check for clues. Unbeknownst to our hero, the simpering sycophant's fingers tighten around the trigger of a rifle aimed at his head. He takes aim and whispers, You're finished, Ranger! But the fearless Ranger, sensing trouble, is too quick for the dim-witted assassin. However, his horse Tonto is not so lucky. Tonto rears up and is shot, a final sacrifice for his master. You're in for it now, Gideon. Your days of villainy are over. Suddenly, the lackey takes a bullet and tumbles to the ground. No man can withstand the swift bullet of justice. Now to take care of that pesky professor once and for all. The hero braves the baffling bastion of the cliff that housed the hideous fiend. Without missing a step, he creeps upward. Hmm, looks as though that buffoon Gideon was done in. I expected as much. <laughs> now time to ready my trap. A quick run through. First, the ranger shall trip the wire, releasing the counterweight, sending the boulders down onto the inclined plane, in turn lifting up the lever and activating my cold-driven piston engine. The vibrations will knock a purposefully loosened stalactite that will drop onto my collection of fine china. Distraught over the shattered wealth, he'll look over in dismay, and that's when I'll shoot him! <laughs> Our hero comes to the entrance of the Sneedly Scholar's lair and prepares to enter. He draws his trusty gun and ventures forth bravely. The jig is up, you third-raid cattle rustler. I deduced your plan to rob the Indians blind during my climb. Come out and face me like a man. Figured me out, have you, you self-righteous cowboy? Well, unfortunately for you, I have one more trick up my sleeve. <laughs> But unfortunately for the pernicious professor, even the best laid plans of men and machine can go horribly awry. His death trap malfunctions, and in moments the entire cavern is enveloped in smoke. The cowardly professor, seeing a chance at escape, bolts through a side exit in the cave. Stop! I've got your beautiful bride to be strapped to the train tracks down there! Joke's on you, bub. The riders forgot to ride in a love interest. The ranger, his sultry silhouette shadowed by shafts of sunlight, pauses to ponder for a moment. I hope that tasted sweet, Codswobble, because you just got your just dessert. Tune in next week for more adventures of the fearless ranger. Because this is the last show before graduation, I thought it would be interesting to just go back in the vault and pull out the very first story I ever made. A story covering the famed earthquake that aired on, that, uh, that aired on August 30th, 2011. 
I thought, I don't know, I was going to die. <laughs> it was kind of violent in my room. We were in our dorm, and we thought that people were making ruckus above us and below us. It scared us. It was really surprising. Me and my roommate were kind of confused. We didn't really know what was going on. I didn't think much of it. I thought it was a bunch of kids running by. I did not feel it. Like, I was on the computer, and I seen my lamp start shaking. Uh, I was in geology class, as a matter of fact. The board started shaking. We was like, it's an earthquake. My teacher was like, nah, it wasn't. He was wrong. Last Tuesday saw the most powerful earthquake to rock the east coast of the United States in almost 70 years. The earthquake was felt by people up and down the eastern seaboard, including many here in Raleigh. We invited Dr. Carl Wegman, a geologist and assistant professor in marine earth and atmospheric sciences, into the studio to help us understand what exactly it was we experienced. The earthquake on Tuesday in Virginia was caused when rocks slid past each other along a fault plane. According to Dr. Wegman, the earthquake, which originated several kilometers below the Earth's surface, was felt for thousands of miles because of the unique geologic composition of the eastern coast. The rocks are much older, much denser, much colder on the eastern part of the United States than they are in the, in the western part. So seismic energy propagates more efficiently. What this means is that there is often a difference between how far an earthquake can be felt depending on your location within the country. Dr. Wegman explains. So a similar magnitude 5.8 in California might be felt over a distance of 100 miles Whereas here on the east coast of the United States, the same amount of energy release would be felt over maybe a thousand miles. Which is why last Tuesday's earthquake was reportedly felt from Toronto to Georgia. No need to panic, however. The relative stability of the east coast tectonics means that earthquakes of this magnitude are fairly uncommon. For those of us that are in our 20s or early 30s, if we lived in Raleigh the rest of our life, we may experience one or two more earthquakes of about the same magnitude during our lifetime. And what are the chances the next earthquake will be worse? Uh, we're not really sure. That's still an area of, of active research for geologists and seismologists on the east coast of the United States. While this may seem unsettling, Dr. Wegman believes that we may in fact have been fortunate to have experienced such an event. It's kind of a neat, almost cultural experience that, that we all got to share in for five seconds. And maybe this earthquake might be a reminder for those of us on the eastern side of the country that we live on a dynamic and an active planet. And while earthquakes in this area aren't common, it's always a good idea to have an emergency plan set up anyway. Worrying about earthquakes should be probably at the bottom of people's list of things to do out here in, in North Carolina. Zombie apocalypse might be a little bit higher. However, Dr. Wegman thinks we should worry about the bigger issues at hand. I feel strongly that some of the largest challenges that we face, both as a country but more broadly as a group of human beings on this planet, are geoscience or earth science related problems. And we need trained, talented geoscientists to solve some of our country's and humanity's largest looming problems. So come see us over in Marine Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. I'm Dave. And I'm Nick Savage. Well, that just about wraps up all we've got for you this week. A big thanks to everyone that contributed to this week's show. I'd like to congratulate DeAndre Jones, who will be assuming the public affairs director role over the summer. So be sure to tune in Tuesdays at 7 for that. I personally would like to thank the entire public affairs team and everyone at WKNC. It's been a wonderful 2012-2013 school year. For On the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois. Good night. <laughs>